Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast with your host, Lauren Tickner. And today I have a special guest on with me who has been on the podcast before. Her name is Claire Goodwin and today we are going to be talking all about things like periods, birth control, hormonal contraception, all that fun stuff. And this podcast is extremely informative. I'm just going to pre-warn you now because I am recording this kind of after the podcast is already recorded because I had some issues with my microphone. So I'm kind of editing this in and Claire has already kind of done her bit because my whole entire part decided not to record. So I'm just going to be having my little snippets and then Claire is about to introduce herself. I'm as Lauren said, my name's Claire and I'm so excited to be here. I'm the PCOS nutritionist, so I have my BSc in nutrition, and I also have my honours degree in exercise science, um, so that's my background, but then I went on and found out that I was um, had PCOS and that I was very close to being type 2 diabetic, even though I was an international runner, I was competing for New Zealand in triathlon and running, and so to be diagnosed with like insulin resistance, almost type 2 diabetes at that stage, I was like, wow, okay, there's something else going on here, and so that's when I got into studying functional medicine and being able to reverse my PCOS, so that I was officially undiagnosed with PCOS, and then that's what I do now is help other women reverse their PCOS as well, kind of using fixing the by fixing the root cause rather than the band-aid approach that the medical profession would go down, which is giving you the pill um, primarily is what they what they do. Okay, so for this podcast, I thought it was a really good idea for me to kind of explain my whole background with this whole thing because I haven't really spoken about it before on social media because I've never really felt like I've known and I never really felt like the time was right. So basically, I'm just going to kind of outline my whole experience with losing my period and like getting it back and using the pill and all that stuff and I know this is me being very open and vulnerable about this whole stuff and just as a quick little snippet here guys I really appreciate it when you share these episodes so if you could take a screenshot of this podcast now put it on your Instagram story and tag me or like share it on Twitter or something or just tell a friend who you may know has lost their period then I would seriously appreciate it because yeah it's pretty scary for me doing this and I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm quite terrified. So yeah, I mean, I don't know how this is going to go down. So let me just explain the whole thing. So basically, when I was around 17, I believe, I started taking the pill. I took the one which was progesterone only because my the doctor asked me, have you had ever any issues with um, like uh, blood clotting and stuff in the past? And I was like, no. And then they asked me, has anyone in your family? And I said, my granddad had a heart attack. And so they put me on the progesterone only one um, because apparently that has less risk of... Uh, uh, blood clotting so yeah I went on that I took that for like six months or something but it just honestly made me feel so depressed and like I felt awful and yeah it just wasn't good but actually I should probably say I started my period when I was either 12 or 13 and it was always irregular before I came on the pill I think I had six months where it was regular with like kind of almost to the day but that was it and then other than that it was always a regular always either be like super heavy or super light and just very spontaneous and stuff like that so yeah I went on the pill and then obviously came off it it wasn't very good 
I then um, like decided a few months later to go on another pill. Well, actually, no, I think it was probably about eight months to a year later. I decided to go on the one which has both in, but I didn't take this for a very long time whatsoever. And I just kind of like took it maybe for three months or something and then stopped taking it. So that's that. Um, and that was my experience with taking uh, birth control. Now, I, but in both occasions, didn't like how it made me feel, it made me feel awful, and that was just my experience. Some people have great experiences with it, and these have only been taking pills, I've never had any other type of birth control. Um, so yeah, like, obviously, this is just, yeah, as I said, my experience. Some of my friends have had amazing experiences on the exact same pills, so it's totally kind of dependent on your own personal body and stuff. So, yes. Anyway, at that time, I also had really bad anxiety, so maybe just the two hand in hand didn't go. But anyways, that's just me speculating. So with regards to my period, ever since I came off that pill, I never had like another period. I haven't had a period since then. And that was probably about three years ago. Now, the doctor at first would always say to me, oh, it's because, you know, it's because you're over-exercising. And bearing in mind, this was when I was over-exercising. So I was like, okay, fair enough. Like, that probably is the reason why. Because this was when I was still about 17. And I was still training super hard. Like, super over-training. Like, and, you know, training hard. Like, just because you're training hard doesn't mean you're being, like, cool or whatever. You don't need to train hard to get results you you got to train smart not hard and I think that's really important for people to realize now I only train four or five times a week for about 40 to 40 minutes to an hour each session and I'm getting the best results I've ever got because I'm training smart and I'm not training hard and I'm not going to absolute failure on every exercise I'm just following the strength feed training guide okay so and I'm also eating well and yeah my period still hasn't come back and now I have been seeing a gynecologist for two years and they keep telling me to take the pill. They keep saying you need to take the pill and just have a bleed. Now having spoken to Claire about this a lot, I now understand that that's an artificial bleed and to be honest I always said that and that's why I've never I've never um, taken it and it's not that I now understand it, it's that kind of like it's made me realize even harder, like, nah, it's, I shouldn't be taking this pill. The one thing that I did do, um, I did take this kind of, uh, it was like a couple of months ago, it was like this um, thing where you take a pill for like five days in a row, you take like three pills a day, and it makes you have this like mini bleed just to see if your body is still able to produce like the blood and stuff I don't know the whole science behind this so Claire kind of goes into that I'm just explaining my story for now because I feel like a lot of people can relate so if you can relate honestly like feel free to reach out to me because I know that it's a really hard thing to go through and it's really scary so the gynecologist has done a lot of tests on me they've done so many blood tests and me and Claire are going to be going through my blood tests this Saturday which is just in like uh three or four days so we're going to be going through them and yeah, I'm going to be working with Claire on this whole thing. So I'm going to be documenting the whole thing on my YouTube channel. So please do make sure you are subscribed to my YouTube channel. So anyway, then I was diagnosed by the doctor after kind of doing a um, ultrasound that I have PCOS. And what she said was that I have PCOS, but I don't have any cysts. 
So this is the first time I had an ultrasound. Now the second time they said to me, uh, oh, all I can see is that you have a small uterus. So I was really confused by this and I mean, I don't really understand. So I'm gonna go through that with Claire as well. But yeah, after two years of constantly nagging my gynecologist, they have finally kind of referred me to an endocrinologist. But even that, like I'm probably not gonna get an appointment for about six months. They referred me about two, no, about six to eight weeks ago and I still haven't had the letter come through in the post when my appointment is going to be and normally when I get the letter through in the post uh, from where I live it's literally like four or five months later so yeah that's obviously that and obviously like the fact that I'm constantly thinking about the fact that I don't have a period like it's obviously not good for me mentally like it's really stresses me out and what I said in the podcast when I was speaking to Claire is that it really does affect me kind of like you know, when I, if I kind of meet a guy, then obviously I never know if I'm ovulating and I obviously never know if I kind of like should, because obviously I should be taking a pill because personally I would never trust using a condom 100%. But yeah, like, um, I just really think that it's important to speak about these things because a lot of people don't because, you know, it's awkward to say this stuff on social media and for me to be doing this. But you know what? I'm going to do it just because I want to help people. Okay, so for me, yeah, like, it's like I would never kind of trust a condom 100%. But then, like, you know, if I'm if I'm not taking anything else, then it's, 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 it's quite stressful for me to have sex. So I always get worried that I'm going to be pregnant, even though the chances, like, are really low. And just stuff like that, you know, it's not nice to be constantly thinking that I'm to be worrying about that especially when like you know I've never had like a proper boyfriend or anything but when I've been like seeing people in the past for a long time like long time long term things and by the by you guys I by no means am saying that like I sleep around and like I certainly am the definite opposite to that but like you know what I mean like and I'm sure you can relate if you are in this position as well because it's super scary and it's super like not nice to kind of uh be experiencing this uh, seeing somebody and then like or you're in a relationship with somebody like a long-term relationship but like you know and then you do sleep with them like and then it's just not nice because then kind of saying to them oh I'm just always worried that I'm gonna get pregnant and then they're just like oh well, why don't you just take the pill and like it just like they don't really it's not nice to speak about it like and especially I find to a guy because you know I don't know I mean this is just my experience and so yeah so that's that and that's like what my stage and so I obviously um have been like the the gynecologists are kind of baffled by this whole thing like by what I'm going through at the moment because they're like you're a perfectly healthy person your blood tests will come back good like it all looks good your body fat levels aren't too low you're eating a good amount of calories per day you're not over exercising it just doesn't make sense and personally I do a lot of um research into this stuff like just because I'm super interested in it so I've been always researching this thing called hypothalamic amenorrhea which is essentially where your hypothalamus is like I don't know I mean Claire's Claire's gonna go through a lot more of it with me because I don't want to say anything that's wrong okay so anyways now I'm just gonna basically input what Claire was saying to me because it's super interesting and I really hope that it helps some people out there it's really good to talk about this because I think that's something that isn't talked about and if you do go to the doctor the really all they can give you is the pill and that's like I will yeah, we'll regulate your period and give you the pill. But this whole regulating the period with the pill is actually a really um, old and antiquated um, 
thing, like the way that that came about, like, so the pill is not, a, the, a pill bleed is not a real period. It's a chemical withdrawal. And so it's not actually fixing anything. It's just giving you, it's just looking like it's a normal 28 day cycle. That's why you are like little pill packets are 28 days. There's no, they could be 56 days. Well, you know, when you skip the sugar pills, you know what happens. You just don't get a period because it's not a real kind of normal cycle. And so this whole thing about like regulating your cycle, the, using the pill for that, actually came about in about the 1940s or 50s when it was um, illegal for contraception. And so some like some sympathetic doctors, um, where they knew that a, like a woman wasn't really wanting to get pregnant, she needed some contraception, they um, would prescribe it to her under the guise of regulating your period. So it's kind of, and that's where that all came about. And unfortunately, it's just kind of continued through the medical system until now. Like, but actually, when you like when you look at it, and you look at what the pill was made up of in terms of chemicals, it it doesn't actually do that. And this is why it's such a problem because for a lot of girls, they get put on the period at such as put on the pill at such a young age, like at fourteen or fifteen, to kind of when they maybe they aren't having regular periods. And so instead of looking at the why that's the case. The doctor will just go, oh, here's the pill, or maybe it's for acne, or maybe it's for like heavy periods. So instead of actually like digging deeper in and allowing that like girl and woman to develop her like periods in her menstrual cycle, her ovulation is just shut down immediately, and that can have some really long term ramifications as well. So that's what we'll also be talking about today, right? Go through like the main reasons why you lose your period. And then so that hopefully people listening can like get a little bit of understanding about why that might be for them and then what they can do about it. First thing is if you're over 16 and you've never had a period, that's actually a completely different to what we'll be talking about today. So that's primary amenorrhea and that's what you'll need to seek help with from, um, you know, from your GP or a gynecologist or endocrinologist. That's really, that's completely different to what we're talking about here. This, what we're talking about today is secondary amenorrhea, which is when, like Lauren, you've had a period but then, you know, and, um, and maybe it used to be regular, or maybe it didn't, wasn't, was never regular, but now that you've, you know, you've got nothing at all, and now this, this is all about troubleshooting and figuring out a way that you can find out why and what's going on there. So the first thing that, and Lauren's already done this, we've already done this with Lauren, is first of all just making sure that you've got enough calories so this can be, and a lot of people say that you have to have a certain body weight. You've got to be a certain like body fat percentage to lose your period. This is kind of a common medical myth, or this hasn't really kept up with the research. So when I was doing, when I was competing internationally, um, I didn't have a period for two years. But I was always like, well, but they keep telling me it's, you know, well, it's just because you're of a certain, like, you're a low body fat. But I was like, I'm definitely not a low body fat. Like, this was part of my problem, and this is what I spoke about in our previous episode. I was actually gaining weight, even though I was on a really, like, super low-calorie diet. I was in, like, well less than a 500-calorie um, deficit, and I was actually putting on weight. And so I was like, no, this isn't right. I'm not really super lean or anything. And so the new research is actually showing that you can be a normal weight or even slightly overweight and still lose your period due to lack of calories. Okay, so this is a, like for a lot of people, this is, might be if they go, you know, if they are trying to lose weight and so suddenly they up their exercise to say three hit sessions and then they, instead of doing say a 500 calorie deficit, they go into like a thousand calorie deficit. Um, then that, you know, that can definitely bring on um, the amenorrhea or losing can cause you to lose your period, even if you still feel like, well, I'm not actually losing any weight, so why have I lost my period? 
And it makes complete sense when you think about this is your body's way of protecting you in a famine situation. So it is. it has realized, okay, there's a famine going on here because you've basically artificially put it into a famine situation. And so your body is like, right, okay, we're going to switch off ovulation, switch off periods that you cannot get pregnant and that you cannot bring a baby into this world. So then that is basically your body's way of protecting you and a potential unborn child um, when it feels like you've gone into a famine. So this is probably the first thing is, you know, making sure that even if um, that you're not kind of going below that sort of 500 calorie deficit, because then you're actually going to do more damage. And go back and listen to that other podcast that Lauren and I did which goes into some of the other hormonal factors which could be actually causing you to gain weight even when you're in a calorie deficit. So instead of going, if you're really struggling, if you're really um, getting really frustrated that you're not losing weight even when you're in a calorie deficit, go and listen to that because it's probably something else. It might be cortisol, it might be insulin, it might be um, a thyroid condition which we'll also talk about later as well within the um, this podcast. But that's really, you need to look a bit deeper because if if your body's not reacting to a slight calorie deficit, then there's generally something else going on. One a doctor said to my patient, she was like, if I put you into, if I dropped you into the middle of, a, of the Sahara Desert and you had no food, you would lose weight because your body would start to have to, yes. But the thing is, we don't, we don't live in that environment, right? Our body's, our body's reaction is it's just going to increase hunger, so it's going to make you absolutely ravenous for anything you can get your hands on. And not even the most diligent or most... Um, sort of people with the big, like biggest motivation can override that sometimes because it is that is an innate innate thing. So then the second thing is being like a bit of a, and like a, a, a doing a bit of diagnostics. So the second thing I'd look at is if you know, okay, I've already done that and nothing's happened, then the second thing would be look at how much carbohydrates that you're eating. So you, that, you know, like you could be eating enough calories, but you're just not having enough carbohydrate. And there was a really good study done by the journal, journal, of clinical endocrinology and metabolism, which showed that if you're not having enough carbohydrate, what that all does is that impairs your hypothalamus, and your hypothalamus is the part of your brain that's like the master controller of everything, of your hormones and of your signaling for your normal kind of sex hormones and what causes ovulation and periods. And if your hypothalamus, it's kind of like, it's kind of taking in all of this information around your body, like what's happening in the environment, what's going on, and so it is the one that shuts off ovulation if it doesn't think the environment's right. And so the, the, the scientists there showed it wasn't just calories, but it was also carbohydrate. If the carbohydrate level dropped too low, then it would be that it like shuts off um, ovulation. Okay, so that's, you know, it basically impairs the hypothalamus, the signaling to the ovaries to tell them to then release luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone, which are ones that control your ovulation. This can be sometimes quite hard because it can go kind of counter to your body acidic goals. And this is where it gets really tricky that um, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, God, well, I actually want to, like, I, I kind of want to go still leaner, but then I've kind of lost my period. So what do I do and how can I get it back by still actually um, improving, like, you know, my acidic or my body goals and things like that. So the thing that I would say about that is that do some, maybe do some carb cycling, try some carb cycling as well, um, and also making sure that you're getting enough um, in at lunchtime in the, and in the evening. The things I would probably only say to people that if you've got, the only reason I would I would tell people to kind of go lower carb, um, and this is like, I'm not talking about bread and pasta and stuff, I'm talking about good starchy vegetables like potatoes and sweet potatoes and like um, yucca and taro and stuff like that. What 
you know, those are really good kind of cellulose plants which help your, um, not only your, uh, your hypothalamic signaling, but also your gut health and everything. The only people I'd really say that need to really go lower carb is anyone that's putting on weight around your stomach because that is a pretty clear indication of some insulin resistance. And even for those, like, because that's what I deal a lot with, that tends to be um, the, one of the causes of PCOS. So I deal with this a lot. Um, but even then, the first thing I'd say to them is cut out sugar, cut out all sweeteners and sugars, but still keep in those starchy carbohydrates. And often for them, that's enough to kind of get the insulin resistance back or the insulin sensitivity back. I have done a, like ketogenic for a while myself, and it is, it is good. The one thing I'd say is that generally... Um, Females don't tend to do as well on a ketogenic diet as males, um, and this is because I think we talked about it in the Broken Metabolism podcast. My analogy is that like males, their, their hormonal or operating system is kind of like um, a Nokia brick phone. It's really simple. It does two tasks really well, calling and texting, but if you want to go, like, get it on Google Maps, then it will absolutely fizz out. It won't be able to achieve that. So whereas females, our hormonal system or operating system is like the iPhone X, iPhone 8. Like it is really complex. We can do way more. We can actually produce a baby, but it also means that a lot more stuff can go wrong. And this is why a lot of research is actually only done on male bodies. And this is why there's a huge movement now to actually get it done on female bodies because we actually, we're not the same as a male body. And this is why if you've got a male personal trainer maybe or um, you know, like, or a boyfriend or, like, partner who's able to, like, lose weight like that or achieve their body goals, and you're like, hold on, I'm doing the same thing, if not more strict, and yet I can't actually achieve that, um, then I would say this is this is why, because our hormonal systems are so much more complicated, we can do so much more, but then we have to be a lot more careful because a lot more things can go wrong with us. I would say 30%, 30%, um, 30% carbs, 30% fat, 40% um, of your um, protein. So, and it depends, it all is all in quite individual as well, because if someone's got insulin resistance in PCOS, and that's why they've not got a period, then that's a whole different kettle of fish. So we'd probably look at going probably higher protein and lower carb for them. But as I said, it's removing out all the sugar and like not even just sugar, but actual sweeteners. Like that's the biggest, the biggest factor. And then we'd then look at timing of kind of intake. So we'd have kind of a higher protein breakfast to try and stabilize the blood sugar and then have kind of more, more like maybe half a cup of um, carbohydrate at like lunchtime and then half a cup or sorry, well, maybe like a cup in the evening before like and for dinner. So that's a completely different story as well. So it's kind of more thinking about what is it for you and then what you can maybe do about it. The other three I've got is um, stress or illness. That's a really big one. So that's where the overtraining comes in. Um, where basically you've got too high cortisol and it tends to happen when there's kind of chronic cardio because uh, cardio, especially medium to high intensity cardio, um, that does increase your stress hormone cortisol and it's not just while you're doing it but up to 48 hours afterwards and if you're then like not getting enough sleep and you're not recovering from that exercise then your body could like presume that as a threat. But so could there's like an illness or like maybe a chronic gut infection or um, a thyroid condition other ones. Celiac disease is also a really, really common one. So if you haven't been screened for celiac disease, you need to be because um, that can be another one. And then the last one is eating disorders. And this is actually probably the most common. So 63% of women with amenorrhea go on to further be diagnosed with an eating disorder. So 
like have a think about that if that does if you are thinking actually maybe my eating's not quite you know maybe I'm not quite okay with what I'm doing then do seek some help because that is you know a whole nother kettle of fish which we won't get into today but it is it is important to kind of address that and have it you know have a really a reality check and think okay like what am I doing here? Whereas even if it's kind of like more of a um, a binge kind of eating, kind of disordered eating in that way, then do still seek out because it's do still the same. It's still kind of a stress on your body and also like a psychological stress and something. To, so yeah, do go and seek help. Okay, so now Claire and I start to talk about birth control. Now, as a girl who has kind of finished school just two years ago, I know that from the age of 14 and 15, girls are starting to take birth control and the pill, and it's just such a normal thing that everybody does now. Obviously, there are some people who decide to then go and act very kind of in a very crazy and, uh, what's the word? Basically, they just sleep around a bit. And this is, of course, like something that, I mean... Like, if people choose to do that, then fine, go for it. Personally, I don't choose to do it myself, never have. And, like, I just think that people, they just still aren't careful, even though they're taking birth control, and they may see it as a reason and an, a reason why they can do that. And I think, like, if you're taking birth control, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is just my opinion of it, and this is what I've seen firsthand. And just, like, yeah, that's what I've seen. So, I mean, personally, my experience with birth, birth control, as you guys heard at the beginning, hasn't been very positive. But yeah, everyone's different, as I said, and here's what Claire has to say. So I think the main thing is that you'll get a lot of pressure to go on on hormonal contraception from your GP because of the the risk of the uterine, like, of your uterus building up. So if you haven't had a, had a period, they'll kind of be like, well, your uterus is building up and therefore you are at higher risk of uterine cancer. Which is kind of true, but it's also, it's not necessarily, there's not a lot of research, but also the added risk isn't actually that great. I think that the risk on the body of having um, hormonal contraception and having like foreign hormones is probably sometimes greater. And that what the, you know, what the pill does is certainly not, uh, not great things either. So I would be more keen to actually look at what's causing that rather than just kind of medicating your way. Well, you can't really medicate your way out of it because if you just go on the pill, then it's not really going to do anything in the long term. It's just going to be right back there when you go off that pill. And this is unfortunately what I see every day with patients with PCOS is that they've been put on the pill, sometimes at quite a young age and because they've had, um, or because they've had, um, you know, like irregular periods. And then now they're coming off to get pregnant and suddenly it's like, that's not fixed and they're having trouble getting pregnant now and it's like well yeah like kind of no surprise because we didn't actually nothing was fixed and they're saying to me but I was getting a regular period and I'm like it's not a period it's a pill bleed and I think this is what we really need to address in the medical community is they're still calling it so regulate your period it's not a period it is a chemical bleed. Now as I said earlier the doctor kept trying to put me on birth control to try and regulate my periods and in order to get me an artificial bleed which obviously isn't actually regulating my actual periods it's just giving me a fake period so now Claire and I kind of talk about like why basically what I was saying to Claire was that I always said no and I always said no I don't want to take this I know that it's an artificial bleed they're the exact words that I always said to the doctor and the doctor would always just be like 
but just do it because then you then you'll be having your period and it's a lot healthier to actually have the bleed than to not have the bleed even though it's a fake bleed that is what the doctor and the gynecologist actually three different gynecologists have said to me so yeah you do have to advocate for your health and you've got to realize that your gp is not an expert in everything and they have to be a generalist and therefore you know, and also that your GP doesn't really have a lot in their kit bag to offer you apart from pharmaceuticals. Like that's really what they're taught at medical school and we can't blame them for that. It's just kind of different strokes. So it's your, like then as an individual, you need to kind of either do what you did, Lauren, and be pushy and get kind of referred on or seek someone else who's kind of more functional medicine world who kind of can then look at what's causing. Because even your endocrinologists and gynecologists won't be very, like they don't actually really look too much deeper in terms of what the root cause is or have you know have kind of natural alternatives to fixing that so if that's the way that you want to go and you want to actually fix root cause then you kind of have to look outside the medical community as well for that um but i think back to your question about what it does to the body is that i think the main concern is that um well my main concern is that you only make natural progesterone you only make progesterone when you ovulate and if you're not getting your period then you are not ovulating okay and so and in that, so a lot of people don't realize they might do a progesterone test and think, and so they also, the pill, so it's not real progesterone, they might give you the progesterone only pill, it's not, it's not natural progesterone, it's a synthetic progesterone, and progesterone is really important for your mood, um, for motivation and vitality, and also for um, just, you know, bone health and things like that as well, so it is, especially the, yeah, especially the mood one, like that's, that's a really important one. And if you're not making progesterone and you're not getting kind of regular cycle, then that is, you know, that's my more my concern about like women's mental health. And it's, it's better, much better to get it fixed earlier because it can take quite a while to actually sort out. So that's why, and you like don't want to be in a rush when that happens. So it's much better to kind of give yourself a long time to get it sorted out. Should we go through some of the other things just that, that the hormonal contraception does first? And then we'll kind of talk about the, so the, some of the, yeah, so it's some of the things that you're not told about, and this is like shocking to me as I do more and more research into this, just how little that we are told about the birth control in terms of, and all we're really told is, okay, the side effects might be, or the risks might be that you get, like, you know, if you've got a blood clotting in your family, you might be at greater risk for that, but for, and we think, oh yeah, okay, well that's like such a small amount of percent, you know, is it really going to happen to me? No. So therefore we're like, okay, well the, the risk of getting pregnant is greater than the risk of the like blood clots, so yeah, okay, I'll do it. But the things that we're not told about is that um, the side effects that affect us every day. So the main one would be um, depression. So this one has never, even though women always reported that it affected their mood, um, it wasn't ever studied, and that's because obviously, you know, research costs a lot, and the main funders of research are business and like pharmaceutical industries. And of course, the pharmaceutical industry is not going to look into um, whether something that's going to be negative for them. So, that's what didn't actually, the study that um, looked into this didn't actually come out till last year, and they looked at 1 million women over 13 years. And they found that those taking hormonal birth control were significantly more likely to develop um, to develop uh, depression than those that weren't. And well, sorry, yeah, and that was to be diagnosed. And the researcher even proposed he was like, I think actually the number is far far greater than what I even saw because half of them that have depression just haven't been diagnosed. So this is yeah. So it's actually there is a study now that does show that this is actually really 
properly what's going on. And the worst is the progesterone only, which is what you talked about before, Lauren, the mini pill, um, and others like that. They've all got little cutesy names, but they're... And so obviously you suffered from that, and I wouldn't say, you know, definitely that was probably going on for you. Um, and the reason for that, like, the, the how it does it is that the hormonal... Um, so hormones make your nervous system more sensitive to stress and they also it also changes the structure of your brain which is pretty scary as well so especially when you're on it for like a decade or or longer so it's yeah very very scary yes the depression was for all pills but it was worse on the progesterone only but i think like as you said like yes there's kind of i don't discount this like there's um environmental things or things that are going on in your life that maybe make you more predisposed but what they showed was that it basically makes your nervous system more sensitive to that stress. So maybe normally, like even if you had that had a similar stressor, if you weren't on the pill, you may have been able to cope with that. But because you were on the pill, it made you more sensitive, and therefore you weren't. So this is kind of why, because you think, oh, okay, well, yeah, it was that I was, you know, starting a business, or I had school exams, or I was at university and I had exams, and yeah, it was a stressful time for me. But yeah, maybe you would have actually been fine had you not been on that hormonal contraception. I would kind of classify like contraception down to like three different categories so you've got the hormonal contraception at one which is everything from the pill to the depo injection um, and the implant that they put say like in your arm the implant in here and they would probably be the category that they when I talk about the pill that's what I mean those guys there they're probably the worst and they all have that same um, effect on the body so not just depression but also um, they reduce your ability to gain muscle mass, so lean muscle mass. So they've done a really interesting trial recently, which has shown that people on hormonal contraception um, gained 60% less muscle mass than those without that weren't on hormonal contraception. So like a really significant, and that was over 10 weeks, so a really significant um, difference. And also that it reduces your sensitivity to insulin, so it makes you less more likely to get insulin resistance as well so 30 percent more likely to get like insulin resistance so that's on those high that's what i mean on those kind of that level three category the pill the depot injection the implant the kind of the next layer down um which i think is the like the lesser of the evils is the copper coil so the copper coil is non-hormonal it doesn't have any hormones in it um, it works instead by kind of um the copper ions actually kill the sperm so that's how it kind of works and also just because when you've got a like a foreign object in the uterus, your uterus is like, whoa, this is not normal. Like we should not have anything up here. We're not going to be getting pregnant. So that's the way that it does. But you should still be able to ovulate when you're on that. Whereas on the other pill, the hormonal, um, hormonal, um, the level three, you don't ovulate at all. So therefore, you never make your own progesterone, and therefore that's part of the reason as well for the depression stuff. So I would say that if I was going to, you know, it's definitely not. Um, foolproof. There are definitely a lot of women that also um, report anxiety on the copper coil. Uh, me being one of them, I really didn't have a good experience on the copper coil. So again, I think it's that maybe depending on the environment, but maybe it just makes us less able to tolerate things that we would be otherwise able to tolerate. It also depends on, and the reason they think of this is that it's copper toxicity. So again, if well, it's more the the ratio between zinc and copper. So. Um, sometimes you can get out of that if you've got like high levels of zinc and you might be fine but other people that don't maybe they suffer so that's one just be aware that it's it's definitely better um, but it can still have some side effects um, well not just side effects I hate the word side effects because they are real actual effects of, on the body they're not just something that we should brush aside um, and the other one that I'd put within there is the Marina IUD. And the reason for that is that even though the Marina is still a hormonal contraception, it's still releasing hormones, 
Um, it is sometimes it is actually what women need if they've got really bad endometriosis and, and really terrible pain. So that is, I would put it in there as my, you know, we do sometimes use that for women with endometriosis. Not that that's my um, specialty at all, but I do see that is is really valuable for that. And it's it's a it's definitely the lesser of the evils of the hormonal contraception. The other thing, though, is I think that the great thing about the last couple of years is that we've had a rise in technology, which is actually helping us predict ovulation and therefore pregnancy and actually for contraception. So. The thing that a lot of us don't realise is there's actually only four to six days in a cycle, and this is when you're actually getting your period, that you're ovulating, and you can only get pregnant when you're ovulating, okay? So I wouldn't, I would say to people, like, don't just be brash about it and don't use any contraception if you don't want to get pregnant, because you don't know, maybe you will ovulate, and if you're not, you know, taking your temperature and doing all that kind of fertility awareness stuff, then you'll never know if you're ovulating, and therefore this, this is when kind of unwanted pregnancies can happen. So... Be careful, like, but you can use, um, so there's a really good one called the DAISY, which is a, it's a, actually a certified contraceptive device, um, so, and it has got an efficacy rate um, that is the same as the pill, which is, which is really good, um, and then so is the Natural Cycles app as well, so that's also got the, that's been approved as a contraception app as well. So if you're not getting your period, you are not ovulating, so... And that is, is pretty clear. But it doesn't mean that you won't ever ovulate. That's what I'm saying. You might do that. So the way that you know that the way – so the way that the – so like the fertility awareness method and um, teaches you is to understand that actually you're only going to get pregnant when you ovulate. And so it's about learning the signs of ovulation so that you can then know when you're fertile and when you're not. You would get your period 14 days later after you ovulated. Um, so you are not, but it doesn't mean that you're not, say, for example, one month, you might, but then you wouldn't, you then get your period 14 days later and then, and then, uh, uh, oh, unfortunately you're pregnant and it's like, okay, cool. So I'm not saying be brash about this and just think, oh, well, I'm not ovulating therefore I'm not going to use, you know, use protection. It's like, you know, don't be silly, do, but know that at the moment, so what that, and understand what ovulation is, what are the signs are. So, you know, are you getting any cervical mucus, you know, the, like the white slippery egg white stuff that when you wipe, and maybe you've never ovulated, so you don't know what this is like, but go and do some research and find out. Make sure you're taking your basal temperature every morning. This is what the DAISY app and the Natural Cycles do to measure ovulation, because all the other apps are, they're the rhythm method, which is not accurate at all. That's counting, that's counting days, and it is just terrible, because we're not robots. We don't all have a 28-day cycle, right? You know, we could have a 35-day cycle or a 31-day cycle, and therefore we don't all ovulate on day 18. And so, therefore, that's not appropriate. But we can detect signs of ovulation through temperature spiking and also cervical mucus. And so when you learn those, and you, 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 know, you, can, pair that, you can pair that with, um, like, the daisy, which is measuring your temperature, and then natural, or natural cycles, which measure temperature as well. And they'll then help you interpret that. They'll say, look, you know, you're actually not, you know, you're, you're not fertile on these days because you haven't had a temperature spike. So um, they can be really helpful. But as is doing some um, research in the fertility awareness method, so there's a really great book which basically tells you all about that and how to interpret your cycles and know when you're ovulating. Um, and then you can know when you're actually fertile, when you're not. I think the main thing is just to know, like, first of all, are you ovulating or are you not? So you can still get a period, but not ovulate, okay? So you can, it's called an anovulatory cycle. 
So a lot of people think, well, if I'm getting my period, surely I've ovulated. But no, that's not the case. Like you have to have also um, had that temperature spike to confirm it. Um, and do know that you can't, by the time you've got that temperature spike, you've already ovulated. So if you're using like no other contraception, by the time you get that temperature spike, you could already be pregnant. So actually, you know, do some research into this. Don't just kind of listen to me now and be like, oh, cool, so I just have to take my temperature when it spikes, we won't have sex. No, like go away, learn more about it, and then use kind of, you know. But the other thing as well is that, you know, barrier methods like diaphragm, um, like general condoms, um, they're all really effective methods as well. So don't discount those, um, especially if it means that, you know, why should you have to go through the hormonal contraception um, just for the sake of like of you know especially the man's pleasure when it comes to condoms and stuff so just do you know don't discount those really good methods especially in during your fertile days and stuff as well um, but that's the other thing so we we're talking about if you've got first of all in your troubleshooting of heavy light periods painfulness first of all check are you ovulating um, and then is it is your period between sort of you know 25 and 35 days if it's longer than 35 days then it could be PCOS or it could be a thyroid condition. So then do it, go and get some testing done if that's the case. So if you're only getting a few a year, then definitely go and get some more testing done there. Um, if it's painful, it can likely be inflammation. Um, uh, so there's, that could be something like celiac disease or non-celiac gluten sensitivity or other kind of gut health stuff. So, you know, have a look further there. Or it could be endometriosis. So definitely go and get that checked out too. And if you're getting a lot of like premenstrual breast pain, like really, like not just kind of normal tenderness, but actual pain, um, that can often be due to an iodine deficiency. So um, definitely go and kind of, if you are getting like quite bad breast pain, then definitely go and check that out because it's not, you don't have to suffer through it. And it could be simple as taking an iodine supplement. Um, but yeah, go and get your like hair iodine um, tested and to check that out. Become an expert in your own body. Know what your own test results mean and what that's going on. And definitely try and work one on one with someone is the best way. And and also know that some of the like medical reference ranges, while you might get all your tests back and everything is within the normal medical reference range, they they can often be a little bit too high for optimum kind of functioning. So. Work with someone who can kind of you know, look at the more the nuances of what, what might be going on there. You can never know what's going, just reiterate what you were saying then, Lauren, you can never really know what's going on if you are on the pill. And I think that we will look back, or any hormonal contraception, I think we'll look back and even say 20, maybe even 10 years time at hormonal contraception and, and just think that that was so archaic. Like, why would we be taking like hormones all of the time to pretend, pre, like prevent pregnancy, which could occur four to five, four to six days in a month, like it's just completely archaic. Um, so I think we just need so much better thinking here, and we need to actually stand up for our, ourselves and realize that our hormones are really important and our body is really important, and we need to look after that rather than just kind of switching everything off and switching our ovulation off. It's just there just hasn't also been hasn't been enough long term studies of the pill, like because like they were you know you'd have to do a randomised control trial for like a decade or you know like so a lot of my friends have been on the pill for say you know ten to fifteen years and it's like well there has not been any randomised control trials which say that that does not affect fertility and I think that we can't argue with that when you look at the IVF rates now compared to what they were 
say 20 years ago, you, you can't say that the pill has not had any effect on that. So that is that. And thank you for listening to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast with me, Lauren Techner and Claire Goodwin. Now, I'm sorry about the fact that this podcast has been a little bit snippety. It's just because of all the technical issues we had, given that my half of the podcast didn't even film. So yeah, <laughs> obviously I've had to kind of literally, guys, like editing this has taken me hours but it's so worth it because I have a feeling this is going to help quite a lot of people and if it does help you I would honestly love to know and please just do share this with a friend who you know may have lost their period or you may know has PCOS. Now Claire and I have been speaking a lot and we think that for me it is the whole hypothalamic amenorrhea thing rather than the PCOS but like I just don't know I mean who knows it's it's just impossible to know so yeah at the moment my diagnosis is still PCOS but I'll keep you um I'll keep you updated all on YouTube so that's going to be oh yeah all on YouTube so make sure you're subscribed thank you so 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 much for listening and please do subscribe to my podcast a lot more cool content coming and as I said every single Sunday it is going to be up no more technical issues we are going to get this sorted so I will see you in the next one and have a lovely remainder of your day